Well, hey, we are so glad that uh, you're here with us today. Uh, I love Sundays, like I said earlier. Sundays is, is one of my favorite days of the week, just because I get to see your faces, get to hang out with my family, hang out with my friends. Uh, and we get to just share life together, right? We get to celebrate the things that deserve celebrating. We get to mourn the things that are sad, that are happening. And we don't have to go through life alone, right? We get to reflect on the story of the scripture and we get to find ourselves in the story so much. Uh, we get to see these things that are happening and so much of it seems like it's paralleling our life. We get to see how people lived out this life of faith, where they succeeded, where they failed, and then we get to learn from it. Uh, these are good times and I'm so glad that uh, you're here with us today. Did you guys sleep well last night? I got lots of yeses. Nice. Uh, parents, did you guys sleep well last night? No. <laughs> My son, Manny, he's the weirdest kid in the world. I don't get it. Every single day, he wakes up at 7 a.m. on the dot, no matter what. Every single time. But every time daylight savings hits, he still wakes up at 7 a.m. on the dot. Right? So like this morning, I, I was thinking about it. I was like, he's going to wake up at 7 a.m. for sure, which is actually 8 a.m., right? And sure enough, 7 a.m. We have family. Nicole's family's in Michigan. My family's in Florida. Every time we go visit, even though the time changes, 7 a.m., the clock hits. He's just somehow, he knows what time it is. He's, he's a weirdo. He's a weirdo. Or it's a superpower. I don't know. One of those two. To be determined. Well, hey, um, like Elliot said, uh, the thing that we announced last week is that we're moving come January, something that we're really excited about. Um, this season for us, 2017, it was kind of a foggy season. It was a season where we felt like we're in the wilderness. We weren't sure what our path ahead looked like. It felt foggy. We saw the path at our feet. We knew we were a church. We knew we loved Jesus, and that's what we want to do. Um, but in terms of long term, we didn't know what that was going to look like. Now that's sort of being unveiled to us. The fog is clearing. And now we're coming out of the wilderness. And so what does it mean for us to come out of the wilderness uh, in, in the best possible way? Come out of the wilderness with our character intact still. And so what we wanted to do as we thought about all the wilderness stories uh, in the Bible is we really wanted to dive into the story of David. Um, David's story is one of the most famous wilderness stories in the Bible, uh, and just see what we can learn from his life, his journey through the wilderness, and eventually becoming king of Israel. Um, in wilderness stories, they are all over the Bible. They're all over. Uh, and we begin, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do we find these so prevalently throughout the scriptures? Uh, and it's because we resonate so much with those stories. We've all been through those wilderness seasons. Uh, some of us have been through some intense wilderness series, uh, seasons. Uh, maybe for you it was addiction, alcohol, drugs, pornography. Maybe for you it was addicted to money. Uh, maybe for you a wilderness season was depression, anxiety. Uh, maybe you just went through really hard times with a family member who was sick for a long period of time. Maybe it's deeply mourning a family member who's lost Right? We resonate with these seasons of life that just seem so foggy. And these seasons are all through the scriptures and they can teach us so much. And some of the more famous ones that we see throughout the Bible is the Israelites. They find themselves in Egypt and they're succeeding. They're doing big, huge, amazing things. And then all of a sudden they're in slavery. Right? 
And then uh, they get released from slavery. Moses, through God's help, delivers them. And then they find themselves roaming for 40 years in a desert. When they finally make it to the promised land, they enter the promised land. And then they find themselves in a place of constant war and internal conflict. And last week we talked about the Apostle Paul and just the trials he constantly went through. Being in prison, being shipwrecked, being stoned at times throughout the book of Acts. Uh, read through Book of Ruth, right? Book of Ruth is all about this woman who's caring after her mother-in-law because her mother-in-law lost her husband and all her sons and they're trying to get her land back. Uh, read through uh, the Book of Esther. Esther finds herself in a place of power in a time when the Israelites were just on the brink uh, and she, she avoids genocide of her people. Right? We find these seasons all through the scriptures, these wilderness seasons. And so what we want to, what we want to do is we want to find ourselves in the story, we want to find ourselves in the journey, that Mosaic, we as a church have gone through this together, but we've all gone through these seasons. And so we want to really kind of dig into the life of David, dig into um, what he went through and what he experienced uh, in and through the wilderness. So we're going to go through that over the next four weeks, something I'm, I'm really excited for us to, to go through together. Um, in order to tell David's story, though, we kind, of have to, we kind of have to back up. We kind of have to know, we have to know the story that's coming to this point. The story of David is found in the book of First and Second Samuel. The books of First and Second Samuel are actually just one book. We split it up. Someone split it up. And it's essentially life before David as king is 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel is uh, David as king, right? But the book of Samuel is originally written as one big long book. And when you combine those books together, it becomes the third largest book in the Bible. So essentially the story of David is probably one of the longest stories of a person's life in the Bible. And on top of that, David wrote most of Psalms. So David's influence in his life over our communal story uh, is huge. And so it's an important story for us to know. So if we go way back, right? So we see the Israelites roaming through the wilderness. Uh, that's essentially the book of Numbers in the Bible. You find Israelites roaming through the wilderness. And then they finally get to the promised land and, and they begin to live in the land and they begin to take over the land. We see that in the book of Joshua. And then what happens if you know... Um, the nation of Israel is split up into 12 separate tribes, um, which are uh, Jacob's, named after Jacob's 12 sons from the book of Genesis. So Israel consists of these 12 different tribes, and then we have the book of Judges, which is essentially uh, a judge from each one of the tribes of Israel, uh, and we just see this downward spiral of a nation. The book of Judges is probably one of the most brutal books in the Bible. And you just see it get worse and worse and worse and worse. And then eventually civil war breaks out. And the people of Israel try to, uh, they try to exterminate the entire tribe of Benjamin. And they almost succeed at it. It's a really rough book of the Bible. And it's one that you kind of have to carefully tread through. With either someone who knows it well or a commentary that can explain some hard things to you. But this is the place that we find ourselves, right, in the book of Samuel. This is the state of the nation of Israel. They're not in a good spot right now. They've just gone through this civil war. Disaster is kind of happening, 
They don't know what to do. Uh, and then we find ourselves in Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. And so what happens is there's a man who's born, and his name is Samuel. He's a prophet, and he's essentially one of the last judges of Israel. But Samuel is a stud. He's a good man. He's a good leader. Like, they finally have someone good. Uh, and he wins battles for the nation. He hears from God, and he's leading them so well. Uh, and then essentially what happens to Samuel happens to every single one of us. He gets old, right? He gets old. And then they're trying to think, okay, what next? What's coming next? So I want to read for you uh, out of the book of 1 Samuel, what comes next? Found in 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse, eight, or starting in verse 1. When Samuel grew old, see I told you he grew old. Uh, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. Uh, the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. So they're asking Samuel for a king now. The way that Israel has always operated is God is king. The way they've always operated is through prophets who would hear from God and would guide the people through the voice of God and what God wanted to do. Uh, typically what you see throughout the Old Testament stories, especially the war stories, is God would go before the people and it would be God's victory, not the people's, right? And so they were a nation that had God as king, and now they're saying, Samuel, we want a king. So then it goes on. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they, had, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, solemnly and let them know what the, king will, what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, and then it goes through for about 10 verses like, the king is going to take your livestock, the king is going to take your grain, the the king is going to take your servants. The king is going to take all these things from you. So Samuel says all the things that all the ways that all the things that the king is going to do. And then if we jump down to verse 19, uh, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Did you catch what happened in there? Right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like us. Is that what you said? Totally. Did you catch what happened though? Like they are rejecting God as their king. And God understands this. And God says, no, this is what's happening. They are, re they are not rejecting you, Samuel. Uh, they're rejecting me. But then what does God do? God simply just tells them the future. He says, look, if you want a king, this is what's going to happen. 
This is the way things are going to go. What does this actually tell us about the character of God? Right? Because God is leaning in and God has always been leaning in and God has always wanted to be their king. God has always wanted to be with them. And now for the first time, not for the first time, God said from the beginning they followed. But Israel's always kind of taking a step back. God's leaning in and they're just leaning back. And then finally it's a breaking point. It's like, no, we don't want you to be king anymore. We want a king that we can see. We want something more concrete. Right? All those other nations have a king. Why can't I have one? Right? Because it's, it's, it's kind of, it's different. It's weird. They're, they're living in a place, and, and I think what we have to do is we have to, we should humanize it as well. Right? It's like us. Put yourself in their place. Put yourself in their place. Find yourself in the story. Uh, I know I would probably fi- be finding myself in that same spot. Something concrete always makes a lot more sense than living a life of faith, having, having that in front of you. And so what it shows us is that God is always willing to draw near to his people, and he's always willing to listen to them. And actually, God is willing and lets us make bad decisions. Right? He doesn't come at him with fire and brimstone. He doesn't say, you evil, worthless people, and he just opens up a hole in the earth and destroys them. No, he allows them to make a bad decision. And so that's what it says about the character of God is that God is a God of grace and he allows us to make bad decisions at times. To make decisions where we say, God, you are not king of my life. You are not in control of my life. I am. We're going to do things my way now. And God gently says, okay, I'm just letting you know this is what's going to happen. Because living a life of concreteness is a lot easier than living a life of faith. Um, I was talking with Kurt, our new lead pastor this week, uh, and he, he, said, he said, faith is so much like improv. Does anyone in here do improv? No one? I thought someone did. Elliot, you do improv, don't you? Where's Elliot at? He hid. He ran away, I think. Um, but does anyone know the rules of improv? There's a movie called Don't Think Twice that we show during At The Movies this summer. And he gives at the beginning three rules for improv. Does anyone remember what a single one of them is? No? It's okay. So, first rule of improv is say yes. First rule of improv is say yes. Second rule of improv is uh, it's all about the group. Third rule of improv is don't think twice. Right, these are the rules of improv. Say yes. What does that mean? It means when, you're, uh, when, you're, when your partner on stage uh, creates a reality, you say yes to that reality. So if the partner on stage says, Nintendo, you say, duck hunt, pew, 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 pew. Or you go, do, 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 do. Man, I should join the worship team. That was good. <laughs> right? right? You go with the reality that they're creating. You say yes to that. It's not an improv if someone says Nintendo and you say, Nintendo stinks, you dork, right? That could be someone trying to be funny, but you're not saying yes to the reality that they're creating and it closes it off. So it's, you always look to posture yourself to say yes. Uh, it's about the group. What that is, it's not about you being funny, it's about the group being funny. So how do we care more about making someone else funny than making us funny? And the third thing is, Don't think twice. 
The thing with improv is the second you get in your head, your brain shuts off. Uh, I know for me, uh, every time I try to do improv, I get in my head and it's like, it just shuts off. I've tried to do improv twice and it was terrible both times. And I was like, I'm done with this because it's really easy to get in your head. You're always second guessing yourself. Is this funny? Is this funny? And then it's not funny and it's too late, right? These are the rules of improv. How is faith like improv? Faith is so much like these three things, actually. Say yes, okay? So when God draws near to us, how do we learn to say yes? Because kind of the way that this faith relationship works is many times God, he he doesn't always reveal everything to us right away. He doesn't say, this is the entire trajectory of your life, now go. A lot of times it's, it's about kind of moving forward gently together, where God will, God will say something. God says, Nintendo, and then we say, Duck Hunt, right? That doesn't make sense, does it? Okay, yeah, I got a lot of, nope, didn't make sense. So the way that works is this. Uh, so me and Nicole, we, uh, when we first got married, we uh, went to Scotland, and we ended up in Scotland for four years. It was a one-year commitment that turned into four and I remember in our fourth year, me and Nicole were talking, and Nicole said to me, she said, why didn't God tell us at the beginning that we were going to be here for four years? Uh, why, why didn't we just know right, right back then? And I asked her, I said, if you would have known it was a four-year commitment, would you have said yes to it? And she said, no. And I said, me either. Like so much of the, this life of faith It's about this ongoing relationship, this ongoing dance that's happening, that God is gently leading us in directions, and he's looking for us to say yes to those small things. What is that small thing in your life that God's maybe gently nudging you to do that you can say yes to today? Um, It's about the group. So often, I think, in, in terms of faith conversations, we, we tend to think in terms of, uh, what do I get out of it? Like, God, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me? And so it's, in terms of faith, it's, it's rethinking that. It's saying, rather than, God, what is this going to do for me? It's, it's posturing ourselves like, what is this going to do for us? Uh, the people of Israel, like, they're just thinking, it's going to be better for me if we have a king. It's going to be better for me. It's going to be better for me. Uh, but really, it's asking ourselves the question, where is God nudging us, not just for me, but for us, for our family, for our neighborhood, for our church. The third thing is don't think twice. And I think this is a big one. Um, I wish the language of improv rules were a little bit different than don't think. Because I think sometimes that's the criticism of people who, uh, people who don't necessarily believe in God. And it's like, yeah, you guys just don't think. Right? But I like don't think twice. Because when we hear God say something to us, it's really easy to second guess that voice. Isn't it? It's really easy to say, like, God, was that really you? Was that really you? I was talking to a friend this week who she gave away a ridiculous amount of money. She said, I just gave it away because I knew God told me I had to give it away. And she said, I just, I, I just had to do it quickly and right away because if I would have second-guessed it, I would have kept on to it. There's no way I would have given away that sum of money I just had to, I had to sign it. I had to give it away because I knew that's what God was telling me to do. And it's in those moments where it really, faith, it's about 
whenever our own understanding comes into play, it's easy for us to second guess. It's easy for us to say, no, that's just me. No, that's just me. No, that's too hard. No, that's going to be way too difficult to step into. But when God nudges us and when we say yes, uh, it's really important for us to not get too in our head, not get too much in our own understanding. So for you, where is God calling you to say yes? Where is God calling you to uh, live outside of yourself and your own desires and to live in faith and not in your own understanding? Because uh, this is essentially in the moment what the people of Israel are not doing. Uh, and what happens in the story is that God eventually gives them a king. God says, okay, Samuel, anoint this guy Saul as king. And Saul is a bit of a buffoon. Saul is basically Biff from Back to the Future, right? He's a hothead. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's the worst, okay? He really is. He's the worst. Uh, and so Saul, he doesn't, he does everything that God said a king would do. He does everything like to just, to not lead his people well. So all the things that God said, this is what a king is going to do for you, Saul basically does. Uh, and then eventually there's a breaking point and Saul refuses to listen to God. Saul refuses to listen to Samuel. And so God tells Samuel uh, something pretty profound. Uh, Samuel finds out, actually, Samuel finds out about uh, the super shady stuff that Saul is doing. And he goes to Saul, uh, and he says this in 1 Samuel chapter 13. He says, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the commands the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom, Saul, will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. You see, God is always on the lookout for that person who's going to lean back when he leans in. God's always on the lookout for that person who's after his heart. And in this moment, God cares so much about the people of Israel is that he wants a king to be risen up that actually sees God as king. And so Samuel tells Saul in this moment, you're done. Your line is cut off. Your kids are not going to be the king, but it's going to be someone else. And then uh, a few chapters later, this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. I'm going to jump down to verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed one stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called uh, Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to them, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all your sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. 
So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and Samuel went to Ramah. Right? And so in this moment, David is secretly anointed king of Israel. Right? So Saul knows, okay, I'm being cut off. And then this is happening in secret. David knows, David's family knows, and this is a man uh, that is after God's heart. This man, David. And we see this played out in the very next chapter. It's the story of David and Goliath, which is a really brutal story, right? David kills a Philistine champion, a giant of a man. Uh, so David does this because the entire nation of Israel is trembling in fear. They're like, how are we going to defeat this man? And David shows up and he's like, are you guys kidding me right now? Because David sees God as king. God is king. What are you guys talking about? Like, let's go. Let's take care of this. So David goes out there. He defeats Goliath. He cuts off his head. And then we tell that story to our kids. <laughs> right? But why do we tell it to our kids? We tell it to our kids because this is this man of deep faith. When everyone else, when the entire nation is running scared, when the entire nation of Israel, they, they're just living in their own place and their own understanding. They're not saying yes. They're thinking too much about it. They're not following that gentle whisper that God's telling them to. And David shows up and he's like, what are you guys doing? Right? Are you kidding me right now? And so David knows and David understands God is king. And then what we have happened through, throughout David's life is David has this promise. He's going to be king. But it's not an easy road for David. Uh, far from it. What happens is Saul uh, gets really jealous of David. And Saul eventually tries to kill David. And uh, David's on the run. David ends up on the run in the wilderness for a long stretch of time. And David's season in the wilderness, and I'm convinced he would have never made it out of the wilderness if he didn't have that foundation that God is king. God is king. David knows how to live out this life of faith. And so for me, like as a community and as we get ready to walk out of the wilderness, as we get excited about the future and we get excited that Kurt's our lead pastor and we're going to Lincoln High and the endless opportunities that kind of present ourselves for us, not just being a renter at Lincoln High, but being an asset to that school, being an asset to the near South neighborhood. There's a lot of exciting things ahead of us, uh, but what's that question we need to ask ourselves coming out of the wilderness? That question we need to continually set in front of us is, who is our king? Who is in control of our life? And if our answer is God is king, God is in control of our life. That's the posture that we as a church need to take stepping into this next season. Why? Because like Elliot said, there's a lot of work ahead of us. Like there's a lot of things that need to be done. Like Elliot said, there's like a meeting every single week now to get ready for it. And for us, if, if we don't have this posture that uh, we're not going to be defined by the things we're doing, we're not going to be defined by our uh, successes by our failures. We're going to be defined by God as king. And God is the one who's in control as we move forward. Because I think sometimes it's easy to think when you have this promise, just how David had. David has this promise that he's going to be king. 
we have this excitement and this promise uh, of the future. That promise was a hard road for David to travel. And this doesn't always just mean that it's going to be an easy road for us from here on out. And so as we kind of listen to David's story, and then we begin to kind of ask ourselves, is God king of our life? Is God king of our time? Is he king of our careers? Is he, is he king of our energy? Is he king of our families? Right? When we begin to ask ourselves these questions, we begin to see all those areas where he's not. And maybe God is just gently nudging us and saying, where, where do we just need to say one small yes and see where that takes us? See, see where that goes um, as a community. And so for us as a church, one of our desires is that we, as we walk out of the wilderness together, we just want our posture to be, God is king. God is king. And so Jesus started this tradition 2,000 years ago to really help us to continually reflect on God being king of our life. Uh, and it's the ritual of communion, this sacred act that we eat bread because we say, God, we believe you came in the flesh and we killed you. And you willingly went to the cross, to your death. And we drink the juice because we say, God, we believe that your blood has cleansed us from all of our sin, all of our baggage, all that junk. Uh, and that through that cleansing, you transform our heart. You transform our heart so that we could be a people that's after your heart, after your desires. And so really to close today, I, I just want us to make that bold proclamation that, God is king, that we have the heartbeat of David that says yes to God, that looks outside of ourselves into the community, and that doesn't lean on our own understanding, but has faith in what God has promised us and told us. And this is the foundation for David's wilderness season, his foundation for being king over Israel when he was able to step out of the wilderness. And that's our place today. So the band, you guys can come back up. Uh, and during our last song, we're going to share communion together. You just take the bread, dip it in the juice, and take communion. And if you believe that, and if you want to proclaim that, that Jesus is king of your life, uh, we invite you to share communion with us. Would you pray with me, Mosaic? God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Thank you that we are here, that we are alive. And God, I, I just pray that, I pray that today you will speak to each one of us individually. God, where are you moving in our life? God, where do we need to say yes to you today? To say yes to living outside of just ourselves, to say yes, even when it doesn't totally make sense. God, what's one small step I need to take today to say yes to you being king of my life?
God, I thank you for the story of David. I thank you for the people that you inspired to write these words down. I thank you that this story has lasted for thousands of years so that even in 2017, we still find ourselves in this story of an ancient Middle Eastern king and that somehow we resonate so much with his journey, so much with his heartbeat. And so God, we just, we want to be like David. We want to be people after your heart. And God, David was a good king, but Jesus, you were a better king. And Jesus, you are the king forever. David was a king for a certain short period of time, but Jesus, you are on the throne still today. And so today, Jesus, we want to proclaim you as our king, that you are king of my life. You are king of our life. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross so that we could be cleansed and we can move forward uh, free of condemnation, free of guilt, free of shame. Thank you, Jesus, for this day that you've given us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.